You're listening to Lost and Sound. My name's Paul Hanford. I'm a writer, a podcaster and a DJ in Berlin. And I've always believed that one of the best ways we come together is through music. And through this series, we meet the innovators, the outsiders, the mavericks, the people who, when they make music, they do it utterly in their own way. Past guests have included Peaches, Chili Gonzalez, Ghost Poet, Letitia Sadier, and first and more. And each week, I have a conversation with someone who I think approaches music in a fresh and exciting way. Hey, how are you doing? I hope you're good. I hope you're well. Thanks so much for tuning in to Lost and Sound with me, Paul Hanford, in Berlin, bringing you conversations every week that get into the heart hopefully, and the essence and the soul of, of, of interesting, creative, amazing people doing music that does its own thing. And today, we're going to go to New York and have a chat with Lauren Flax, DJ, producer, multifaceted, genre-blurring, doing-her-own-thing artist, who's output over a long time, starting off in Detroit in the 90s, moving to New York at one point, being half of the project Creep with her friend Lauren Dillard, in which they collaborated with singers, including Sia and Romy XX, through to making really, really deep, underground, bunker-shaking techno with New York's The Bunker crew. Through all of this and beyond, there's a real sense that I got from speaking with Lauren that you're about to hear in a second, that, that at the heart of it, there's something just really beautiful and universal about sticking to your guns, sticking to your core beliefs, checking in with your core beliefs. And sometimes that takes a long, long, long time to... to to sort of see people come around to where you're coming from. She had a lot of really, really interesting grounding things to say about appreciating the moment and about mental health and about the emotional connection to music and being and getting into a good place to create. And that that doesn't mean just like music or DJing or whatever, but it's just like... I don't really see like creating as being sort of limited to some sort of orthodox thing. Like it's all about music or art or writing and you know doing it this way going to university getting a degree in creative writing or anything like that it's 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 about whatever you fucking put your 
heart and soul into and and feel that you're expressing things through um and so i feel like listening to what you're about to hear with, with lauren really really sort of just every now and then i have guests on the show and they say things that just really check in with myself and and this is one of those interviews so without further ado this is what happens when i had a chat with lauren flax how are things with you at the moment? You know, taking things little by little. Um, right now, honestly, things are pretty good. You know, starting to work again, starting to travel, but honestly, taking it just literally one day at a time because everything is just so, we just don't know what's going to happen. But I'm feeling pretty in good spirits these days. Um, so, and that it in itself feels like a million dollars. I mean, I've, a lot of uh, people I've spoken to uh, since since uh, the beginning of the pandemic, particularly DJs, have sort of said that they they didn't notice how much that they needed to have have a break until you know. I mean, obviously the pandemic's on so many different levels, but for one thing, uh, having a break and what you're saying just then, sort of starting up again. Did you enjoy? Was there something that you got out of the experience of being forced to slow down? I mean, 100%. I basically wouldn't have chosen this break, but but I didn't know how much I actually did need it. And like, I don't think any of us will ever have the time to like, just work on ourselves like we have during this time when you're forced to stay home. Some of us have forced to be alone for months at a time. For me, I think I was alone for almost nine months. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, it forced me to go in and I feel like the amount of healing that I got in the last year and a half is really, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. So that's probably why I feel so um, solid, like right now. Yeah. And, and going back into the world again, are there things like from this process that you feel that you want to kind of make sure that you keep checking in with yourself about, because I know that I've sort of found since I've started very, very carefully going to clubs a little bit again, I've started to kind of become more outward again a bit, but there are certain things I, I personally don't want to, I feel like I've gained from this experience in terms of my own well-being and mm-hmm. self. Are there any, any things that you feel that you want to keep checking in with about yourself well luckily i think because i quit drinking almost you know coming up on five years like i already had to learn how to kind of listen to myself and my body um in order to honor it so this has also felt you know it's very similar now once i'm going out if i'm feeling anxiety if i'm feeling any sort of uncomfortableness i just go home and i'm pretty well rehearsed in that so you know it just it's, it's all reinforced if i'm if i'm feeling the anxiety of a crowd I'm out of there, you know? Yeah, that's really good. So you don't, you don't have FOMO then? No, I mean, sometimes, but like, I have to listen to myself now, my mental health and, you know, it is so important. I've worked so hard to get it to a good place. So, and I think the crux of it is just like listening to your body and listening to what you need. And like, that's, this is just a continuation of that. Yeah, and I, I think because I spend quite a bit of time on my own as well during the last 18 months as well. And it definitely was a time where, you know, turning inwardly, listening to the body became something without the distractions of noise around. It became a lot more easier to do, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, talking about your work, you know, it spans quite a lot of time and it spans 
quite a lot of styles and the collaborate you've collaborated with everyone from Sia uh, to doing like uh, one of the things that I love the most that you've done recently is One Man's House is Another Woman's Techno, which is like, so stripped down, you know, and, <laughs> and there's, so, there's so many different approaches that you've taken, but there's also like a sort of a commonality to a lot of your stuff. Um, I was kind of wondering, it feels to me that, you, you know, to, to approach so many different things, you must have quite an instinctive way of going into a project you know and I, I just wanted to kind of ask like what were there any sort of guiding principles that you have on on you know sort of treating your sounds how you go into a how you go into something yeah you know it used to be I used to really beat myself up because I never wanted to stay focused on one particular thing and like that's how you really can succeed at one particular sound but it just I could never stick to that and now it, it, like I unconsciously took the long road okay so like just sticking to my guns and writing the music that I felt like writing in the moment and releasing whatever I felt like releasing even it may, if it maybe was detrimental to the sound that was uh, completely different and popular like these people might not like this other sound but it's, and I've gone back and forth between like do I create aliases and like you know what no this is all me and luckily, I feel like I'm finally to a place now where people can start to expect that I'm going to push the boundaries and try different things. And and uh, they'll just pick and choose what they like. It's like, and I'm not comparing myself to somebody like Aphex Twin, but, you know, I love his melodic, beautiful tracks. And, like, there's only a few really spazzy, hardcore tracks that I can get down with. And mm. most of them I just kind of, you know what I mean? So I hope people can just kind of pick and choose what there, what resonates, but yeah, I try to have the common thread of what it is that my signature is that you can pick no matter the genre, you might be able to put it together that it's still something that I've written. I mean, do you think that that common thread comes out of just like personal selection, like the way that we're certainly attracted to certain kinds of things and certain things just resonate with us? Yeah. I mean, like it's everything I grew up on. So it's, you know, industrial music, it's house, it's techno, it's trip hop, it's ethereal, it's film score, it's things like that. And I, I do kind of put all of these elements into whatever genre style I'm writing, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and like sort of mentioning just now about One Man's House and is Enough Woman's Techno. And one of the things I really loved about that is like when I listen to it in my headphones, I actually feel like I'm in a really low basement, low ceilinged basement club, <laughs> like maybe about six in the morning and stuff. And yeah, it's so, right. it's so, it's so, uh, and I wanted to kind of know, like, I feel like the drum machine plays a very key role in that. And I wanted to know what your process was with that that song like you know maybe how it was inspired or or how it came about or or what was the feeling that you got when it was coming together yeah I think like right around then and, and when I wrote before that the record I did for, Unknown, for the unknown is when I completely shifted my method of producing music so I needed to be out of the box what I learned um so meaning I was never it was never that great for me to create beats in the computer in logic so when i got my hands on a drum machine it was kind of like game over that was my instrument like i figured this i'm like i can't believe it took me so long to figure this out and so now i mean my process when i'm writing dance music is just literally jamming on the drum machine hitting record and basically getting my structure of the song laid out just by feeling i mean i've been doing this so long that i know what feels good and i'm just going to trust that 
And that energy can go on the track as opposed to me like thinking about, okay, I'm going to put this hi-hat here and this here and this here. And it's like all of this, like, no, this is just pure feeling Mm. and using the drum machine to express that. So that's kind of, I'm glad that that's coming across and you're feeling that. Yeah, no, I love I love that thing about feeling, and it's what I think is really interesting about drum the drum machine sound in it, and and the way drum machines are in a way, is that like on one hand they're obviously very machinic, but on the other on the other way there's something incredibly human, uh, like in the fact that you know we, we've all got these pulses in our veins, and and somehow we resonate to sort of like this kind of frequency, and I guess the process of using a drum machine rather than on a computer feels like your very human kind of way of doing, you know, is, 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 is something with the human nature of electronic music, something that you try to explore? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it, I don't even know like life without it. It just, I've all, I've resonated with it since I came to as someone who loves music. So it just always has felt like an extension to the heartbeat. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so going back to when you, you early discovered music, so you grew up in Detroit. I did, um, yeah. Yeah, and, and how did music come into your life? I mean, ever since I was little. I mean, I um, <clears throat> we left Detroit, moved to the suburbs when I was in like the fourth grade. Mm-hmm. And then I met one of my best friends who lived on my block and her dad taught drums. So he and his basement had like an electronic kit and a regular drum kit. So when I was in the fourth grade, I started playing the drums um, and played them for years. And so that gave me a real, uh, a real a head start in understanding timing um, and things like this. So, yeah. And then from there, I mean, I picked up the guitar, I picked up the bass. Uh, and then in high school, I was discovering, you know, electronic music and, you know, Front 242, Nights Arab, uh, Ministry. And then, you know, getting into the rave scene of, you know, house music and electro and jungle and 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 just kind of losing my head with all of that and then trip hop on top of that so i mean i could go on. <laughs> yeah and like because i i think um I, d- I definitely have very sort of early pre-rave kind of formative experiences like with things like ministry as well there was a lot of other things and i think i read somewhere as well that you had a kind of connection with a radio show that was kind of playing things like sort of uh slow dive as well and exactly. ride uh, and stuff and it feels like in the last few years like people have kind of come round to kind of making connections between the kind of sonicness of that music and techno in a way as well. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Played a huge role, I think, for a lot of people in Detroit. Mm. You know, a lot of my friends on the bunker, Servito, I know he was obsessed with that show too. And he's obsessed with all the same bands that from the nineties that I am. So it's, you know, it's essential for us fundamentally. Yeah, yeah. And like, because uh, when you're growing up in Detroit as well, because obviously Detroit's got such a music history and such a music history that's kind of connected with um, social history as well. Did you feel this, you know, I mean, because I guess like there's different eras of Detroit music that people talk about, but from from your, the place that you kind of came into discovering things, did you feel the echoes of any of this around you? For me, it was about finding my own, uh, my own community of like queer people. Hmm. Because when I was in high school, no one was out. I certainly wasn't. I was closeted. So for me, that was me finding my, my home in a community that accepted me. Um, So I didn't think about it kind of 
um, you know, when you're in it, you don't think about how special something is a, it, mm. it, it's until you're like way beyond it. So I look back to the Detroit time and think about how incredible of an era that was and how lucky I am that that created those sound palette that I create all of my music from. Mm. Um, I think that was the biggest thing for me is finding community and safety in the underground. Can you, can I, do you mind if I ask what kind of era this was? So this is the mid nineties. The mid nineties, right. So this is like, cause was this when you were into jungle as well? Or was yeah. 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 <laughs> and so th- was it, was it kind of a surprise to find this community as well? It was, it was just like an epic. It, yeah. It, I, I don't know if it was as much a surprise as much as like a, like I was able to breathe somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, cause it certainly wasn't where I went to high school, you know? Mm. Was high school something that you felt you just had to get through? Yeah, I wasn't super, you know, I was very much into sports. I, pl- I mean, I thought I was going to be playing basketball professionally. Like I was really going for it. I made like the Junior Olympics and then I discovered the rave and I'm like, I choose the rave. <laughs> what do you exercise still, don't you? you know? well, not, yeah, I do. I do. But I'm yeah. definitely not as good at basketball as I used to be. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. And from from Rave and Jungle, how did you get into actually uh, going from being at Raves to performing? Um, you know, it's, I kind of fought it for a while because all my friends were yeah. DJing. And so I was like, no, I'm going to play my guitar, man. And like, <laughs> so, <laughs> so you were I, like one of the indie kids at a Rave. I was, yeah. And, um, you know, I went to my friend Ian's house. And he and I were just talking about this. I don't think he understands how much I've talked about this moment, but I basically went to his house and he had two like belt drive turntables on the ground that were like the pitch controls were little wheels. So, you know, I grab a record. I was like, I'm just going to try it. And there was like a party going on. And then like, I'm like, put the headphones on and I put this record on and I match the beat and I bring it in. And then everybody gets quiet and they're like, and then I was like, oh, shit. I think I did this like, that was really fun expressing, like, putting one song, and I think it was like a Jungle record to, like, a Sade record. So creating something new out of these things, I, it clicked. Mm. And then, like, three months later, Adriel Thornton um, booked me for um, an event called Family, which is Tuesday nights at this club called Motor. Um, I don't know if you've heard about it. It's legendary oh, Motor Lab. Um, it was like where, you know, all the best underground DJs would play and then European DJs would want to come in and play at Motor. Um, it was one of the best clubs in the country mm-hmm. and like voted as such, even though that's pretty much all we had. So we had that club and then all underground raves. Um, so that turned out to be my first residency. So every Tuesday and it was with also that was when I was spinning Jungle in one room and in the other room was um, Servito plus Laco. Jason Kendig. Um, I don't know if I'm forgetting somebody. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, we've been DJing together since we were teenagers, you know, and we, me and Cerrito just played House of Yes together and just were like literally hugging it out and be like, man, bitch, we're still doing it. We're still doing it. <laughs> like, holy shit. And uh, so it's, a, it's, been a, it's a wild ride. Yeah. Really? Did, 
It's, it's a, so you were sort of saying that, like, I've got this kind of impression of this, like, sort of moments of reflection of, like, you know, you're here now doing this and, yeah. and, and stuff. Did you, we, we, you know, beforehand, like, when you were learning the drums as a kid, did you have an inkling that this is what you might 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 spend your life doing? Or did it just feel like drums was something, you know, like a, a thing, you know, we will, as children, we're quite often given things to do, aren't we? Like yeah. clubs to join yeah. and, and stuff. Um, I knew music was going to be very, I mean, I, I knew I wanted to pursue music. I just didn't know how I didn't have like rock star, rock star dreams for me. I don't, it was for me always about kind of being in the background. So I knew I wanted to like write music and, and maybe learn and like later understood that I want to learn how to produce music and then DJing and all of the things. So it all just kind of naturally came together. And, and like when you got to New York, because there was a little stopover in Chicago. Um, yeah. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you got to New York um, and then you formed, you co-formed Creep as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and and this, this era in New York as well, it kind of feels like, because I was living in London at the time and it feels mm-hmm. like there was qu- kind of sort of quite a few parallels in a way between say East London at the time and Brooklyn at the time in terms that there was a lot of energy, there was a lot of gentrification as well. And, yeah. um, you know, so there was a lot of contrasts as well. You know, what was, what was your sort of feeling when you, you got, there and of of New York and kind of grounding yourself and finding your own way. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, Creep came about pretty naturally in, in terms of just like me and my best friend wanted to start writing music together and just wanted to see where we went. And Days was the first song that we wrote, I think. Mm. Um, it might have been Days or it might have been um, Jessica King. Um, <laughs> his memories yeah yeah I can't quite remember but I just remember we made like a video of me on the beach flipping my hair in really slow motion and mm. it looked really weird and then put <laughs> Jessica King the song Jessica King on there and because um, we were inspired by her she was just a teenage girl making these weird videos of like backwards slow-mo and we're like okay so we wrote the song created this video and people were like, okay, this is kind of interesting. And then, yeah, and then we did write Days. And that was kind of around the time where XX were getting pretty big. But, um, you know, Rami came over and was just like, recorded the vocals in my bedroom. And and then, you know, it ended up getting a lot of attention because of Rami, most likely, you know. And uh, kind of threw us in the deep end pretty quickly. I mean, Fabric was our third live show ever. <laughs> It was right. fucking terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so I get a feeling it was a little bit of a whirlwind that you weren't perhaps expecting. No, I've never performed live like that before. Mm. We had to figure it all out in front of people. Yeah. <laughs> and so so was Romy just like a, a friend of yours or, or was it sort of like a kind of a thing you kind of thought she would be amazing to sing on? Or? Yeah, no, she, she was a friend, you know, mm. so uh, it was just something that was just like for fun. And she was like, yeah, let's not sing on this song. And then, you know, I played the song for Warren Fisher from Fisher Spooner. Who was yeah. like, and he was like, I'm going to do this video for you. Let me just do this because I because he, you know, he has a film company and he's normally doing, you know, commercial stuff. And he just wanted to do something um for fun. And he made us this insane video. Mm. You know, we went to this mansion up in Yonkers that's used for a lot of film and TV. And it was just like this haunted ass 
mansion where none of the statues on the property had heads. <laughs> <laughs> that is weird. That's that's quite sort of Wicker Man esque, in a yeah, it was very trippy, and um, and so you know, it was just like a series of things that just kind of lined up, and um, and we just kept writing, and you know, it took us a couple years to finish our record. Mm. Um, before we finally were able to put it out because, you know, we were waiting on vocals from, from people that it, it just didn't work out. So we would have to find somebody else. Like, mm. um, so it was a lot of waiting before we could finally like, find 14 singers on the record. 14 so. singers. That is a lot of collaboration going on there as well. Collaboration too. Yeah. And, and did you feel like, cause that's like be, being the only album at least that I know of, did it, did it feel like it was like, that was it. It was like a kind of contained project creep, like a, like a book or something. We wanted to take it, we wanted to take it further, but we ran into um, typical music business craziness with um, having people on our team that weren't actually out for our best interests. And we yeah. weren't able to tour the record once it came out and if you can't tour your record you you're just done that's it so you know we had to just reckon with all the work we had done and you know it was pretty uh heartbreaking and difficult for us to have to deal with because music isn't enough you have to really have people that are on your team that are genuinely out for your best interest but um it just sucks that it's like a rite of passage in the music industry that you're going to get fucked over. Yeah. Um, and it, it shouldn't be like that. So, but I learned a lot. I learned so much and I'm just emotionally in a much better place to kind of maybe even just reach that level. Like maybe back then I wouldn't have been able to mentally even handle it because I was still like partying and drinking all the time and having anxiety and all of these things. So you know, I look at it as, you know, I don't really blame uh, the universe for things because I ended up walking away learning a lot, like surviving that and then, um, you know, walking away from it with a lot of knowledge. And also I'm only attracting people that are actually out for my best interests now. You know, my bullshit meter is through the fucking roof. I'll catch somebody in a second now. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I bet it's naturally set like that as well. Like that's not a, I don't, I, you know, maybe you don't have to turn the bullshit meter on. It's just constantly, you know. Yeah. When you're green, when you're green in this, yeah. I'm, I'm a person where my default is love and trust, right? Mm. And like that's so easily taken advantage of in this business. And I try to still, that still is my default, but I, I can have my, I still can, you know, be safe as well and like notice the things first. So. Yeah, I mean, what you're saying really resonates with me as well, because I had a, a music experience in the late 90s and early 2000s where I was doing a music project and we signed with quite a big label on it. And um, we had similar, I don't know what your particular experiences were with, with untrustworthy people and the management and infrastructure, but we had our own version of that going on. And yeah. when I look back on it now, me personally, I feel that I would definitely do things differently. But I also sort of feel that I was very green. And mm -hmm. I think part of that thing that I wouldn't do now is just to uh, not party all the time and, no and notice things. You know, mm -hmm. I, I kind of just presumed that things were just going on automatically for my best interests or yeah. the music's best interests. And you look now, and although, like, I wouldn't say, like, we were, 
my project was completely fucked over. And a lot of it was down to us not noticing things that now I would notice (laughs) that would have like maybe stopped two years of rot coming in, you know, like it's it's interesting, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. 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 And and so, and and I think since then, you know, I feel like there's a lot of stuff you've done, but I feel like that, you know, do you feel like you've sort of, there's more um, terms of what you're saying about not being so green. Do you think, like having more of a kind of a sense of autonomy in yourself and perhaps collaboration, like you were saying with, with like the people at the bunker and stuff, do you, uh, with, with like people that you have roots with, do you feel that that is a, maybe I'm loading that question, so I apologize about that. I, I, what I'll rephrase it is like, how do you feel that you give yourself the, the kind of roots and surroundings to know what the universe is giving you? I mean, I I trust every part of the universe, and even the bad stuff. But I think that all the work that's happened in the last decade, two de- like especially the last decade, has really shown, um, has really brought the best people in my life. Mm. The people that I'm working with, um, to the friends, to the other producers and DJs and other collaborations. It's just very, very different now. It just... I've made room for the right people and it just, I'm, I'm trusting that more now. So with everything that I've gone through, I feel like the people that I let in are the right people, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I mean, do you feel that you, in order to make room for the right people, you have to be very careful about what's already in your life as well? Exactly. There's oftentimes you need to actually get rid of people to make that room. Yeah. You got your gut, you know, it's hard. It's hard. It is, it is hard. But it's like, it, oftentimes it'll almost be instantaneous. You'll do the work and you'll get rid of people and then boom, you'll yes. notice yes. someone else in your life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like, I mean, in a very bland way, it's like having space in your fridge, isn't it? By throwing out the mushrooms that have gone a bit rotten. It's yeah. Just- yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> And, and like the Out of Reality EP as well, which I fucking love as well. It sort of feels like, feels to me like it's such a journey with such a kind of consistency, but like there's so much of a sort of journey going through that. And and, and I know it was something that's like written in the band camp description. So I never know how accurate these are to what your intentions are, but you mentioned in it that you were, you were being drawn into thinking about a uh, repetitive nature of life cycles and mm-hmm. the Indian concept of samsara. And mm-hmm. I'm a bit stupid when it comes to that. And I don't know anything about that. I was wondering if you could explain to me what that's about. Well, there's, you know, the Buddhist thought of birth, the birth death cycle, which is if you look at, at uh, the endless knot, it's just a knot that goes in, you know, it's never ending or the Uroboros of the snake eating its own tail. So that's, you know, the birth death cycle. We're just what we are as humans for me and my belief system. And again, I don't push this belief system on anyone. It's just what I believe is that we are doing, you know, I do believe in the reincarnation aspect um, for our own soul's journey until we learn all the lessons we need to learn. Yeah. So when I wrote that particular song of the endless knot, um, I felt particularly trapped uh, on planet Earth because there's so much darkness, and I just can't believe the depths of darkness that were here on this Earth. And I was in a particularly dark moment of being like, I don't want to be stuck here. Yeah. Um, 
But, you know, I don't necessarily feel that I'm stuck here. I think, you know, just in that moment, that's how I was channeling that energy of what I was feeling. And did you feel like in channeling that energy, it gave you some kind of elevation out of that thought or, or like a release from, from being stuck in that situation? Eventually, yeah, I came to and, you know, came back to my core beliefs and, you know, I believe we're here for a purpose and, um, you know, there's just going to be those moments where they're, the world is very dark, but it's not always dark. And it helps me remember to be in the moment more, especially when things are feeling good because nothing is permanent. The sadness doesn't last. The happiness doesn't last. It's always changing and moving. So it, it has helped me appreciate the moment more, I think. Definitely. And gee, I mean, that's a really lovely thing to say. And, and like when, when it, when you think about uh, the music that you made uh, for out of reality now, um, what does it remind you of now? Does it, does it remind you of the bad experience or does it remind you of like a process that you've been through that's come It out? reminds me of the journey. It reminds me of the journey. And it took a year and a half. It was delayed a year and a half, <clears throat> uh, the, the release. And I couldn't be more grateful because it, to me, came out at the right time for me mentally and all the work that I had done in the last year and a half. Then to have it come out and to have it resonate with people that have also gone through some pretty dark times the last year and a half. Um, and it's really the first piece of work for me that kind of really, um, like puts together all of my influences of house, of acid, of ethereal, of trip hop, dub. It really is the most current version of like all of my beliefs in my life gone into one record. And I am going to, you know, I have another record that's going to come out on 2MR that's expanding on it even more. That's, that's lovely. And I think it's, it's also, it's, you can hear all of these elements, but it's so, it, it becomes, it, but you know, like when things join together and they become a whole thing rather mm-hmm. than, they don't sound like they're a bunch of things strapped together. You know, <laughs> they sort of, you can hear the components, but it has become its own other thing out of that yeah. to me. I'm super, I'm super grateful because for so long, I always beat myself up for not having it in me to, unquote, to stick with something. And now... Yeah. All of these things that I've journeyed through, all these different sounds are coming together. To they are genuinely who I am. Mm. So, so I, good. yeah, sounds good. I, I sort of sense a tone of like that must be kind of a really nice thing to um, to feel. I mean, vindicated is a horrible word because it sort of sounds like ha ha ha, you know. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so I try, I try and think of a different word that's nicer. But you know, this kind of just a satisfaction of sticking to your guns. That at the end of the day, there is a a thing, you know. Yeah. There's a journey and a thing. Yeah, and I might not have known it throughout, you know, the actual journey. I just knew I had to follow exactly what I needed to do to stay true to myself. And it's all kind of making sense to me now for the first time. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, it feels really good. And in the word for me is, is just being grateful. I feel grateful that I was able to like follow my gut and not try to follow a trend or do what other people were doing. I just needed to do what I needed to do. Yeah. And somehow I'm still here and I'm able to pay my bills. And, and so I'm grateful. <laughs> <laughs> which is the dream isn't it it's the dream and yeah. The, yeah, yeah and and um 
I've, you also sort of mentioned, like in a few interviews, you sort of mentioned about politics as well and about its connection with techno and with clubbing. And yeah, I, th- there's a really lovely quote that you said, I think, in a recent Beat Portal article where you're kind of sort of saying how when people don't talk about politics in music, you find that kind of, str- I'm paraphrasing here, but find it kind of strange because uh, uh, politics is where music comes from. Mm-hmm. Um, Especially techno. Yeah, can you tell me? I mean, I have my ideas about this, but I'd love I'd love to sort of know what you mean by that. Well, underground resistance was created as a political movement, you know. So Detroit again. Yes, all this, all of techno, uh, you know, that's the main undercurrent of where it all comes from. So, you know, I remember, you know, Jeff Mills is pretty quiet in terms of politics, and he started speaking out a little bit about it, about just that. And, you know, a lot of people came for him to just stick to techno, quote unquote, without understanding what techno actually fucking is. And it's usually white Europeans um, that might not know that of most of the comments that I've seen. And they're not I'm not saying that in a way that like they're stupid. They just don't they maybe just don't know. So it needs to be spoken about. I mean, this is political. Um, so asking Jeff Mills to st- keep it like you don't understand what Jeff Mills is and what techno mm-hmm. is. So it's time for you to do your homework to get the real education, you know? So yeah, that's basically what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and do, do you feel that techno sometimes people that are con- politically conscious in techno, whether in production or whether, you know, in any capacity, whether in being a dancer or whether uh, participating from going to events, do you think there's a there's a danger of the political aspect of techno being lost? I mean, particularly because at one end you've got like the kind of weird mega Las Vegas world of EDM, you know, mm-hmm. and um, you've got all of this. Do you feel that that can, you know, when, when people are sort of making comments to Jeff Mills, like, you know, stick to making music, do you think mm-hmm. that that's something that can get really lost? Yeah, I do. And I think that EDM is kind of a whitewashed version of underground dance music. So it's more capitalist. It's more um, bottle service. There's not much in terms of, um, in terms of just like roots. Um, a lot of it is lost. Um, I can't say that EDM is a terrible thing. You know, I think, for the most part, what EDM is, is it brings in the young listener and the young listener at some point gets a little older and they start to maybe develop their taste, you know, and then they'll start to understand more about what underground dance music actually means. Um, so I'm not just straight up ripping EDM. I just, you know, uh, I see it as Vegas, as fire shooting out of a bottle and very expensive tickets and it's just not something for the community necessarily absolutely like there might have been like 50 years ago there might have been some people that got really into into understanding black blues music through seeing elvis presley at at las vegas as well you know there's there's a line of thought there and what, what do you think the in what ways do you think um we can all take more of an activist approach um, on the dance floor? Are there things that, you know, that you feel is worth bringing up to people? Or do you feel that it's a personal journey that everyone has to find their own route through? Or or is there something more direct? 
I think we have to just remember that you can't be woke all the time. We all have our moments where we wake up and say like, oh shit, this is wrong. We need to start being more active. And being able to talk to people as human beings instead of just trashing people for not knowing, I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah. Um, because a lot of people do want to know. They just might not have access to knowing or just never thought about it. You know, it's just not in their purview, not in their world. So, you know, I think it's more about just treating each other like human beings and, and uh, unless they're of course straight up assholes, then I'm going <laughs> to fight back, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I guess that's when the bullshit detector kind of is useful. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I definitely am a Zen motherfucker, but if you come at me, I'll come right back. You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm, not a passive, I'm not a passive Buddhist. Like if you're going to hit me, I'm going to hit you back. So yeah, I think my way of describing it for me is, is that I'm most of the time I'm I'm very vegan and organic, but every now and then I just completely lose it and find myself with a kebab at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah, totally. And you know what? It's it's, it's interesting that you say that because one of my best friends is also vegan, but she uses it as a guideline. It's not a rule. It's a guideline. Mm. So if they, if her and her partner come go somewhere and they're just making, you know, a turkey and whatever, they're going to eat the turkey. They're going to eat that turkey, but, and they're not, you know, and I think that as we're just so rigid, like we've gotten so rigid with rules that we're just harder on ourselves. And if we just use things like that as guidelines, it's going to be a lot easier. No, totally. Totally. I mean, um, I think that's a really beautiful way of describing it. Yeah. Cause I, I definitely feel that yet yeah, I don't, I, I used to beat myself up if I kind of the day after I'd had a bit of something that I consider naughty food wise. And I mean that in kind of social behavior as well, perhaps as well, but now it's more just, it's, it's to sort of reflect on really. And to sort of just, you know, I think lockdown has also taught everyone that we're all just humans and we do have these borders around us, you know, and, yeah. and, and nothing's, nothing's, nothing's binary either, really. Exactly. Exactly. And I have to tell myself this also all the time. I have to put myself in check just as all the things I'm saying, I say to myself as well, you know, just have to be more gentle and have the conversations with people that are, might not understand instead of jumping down someone's throat, we have to meet people with kindness again. And I say that to myself just totally. as much. Yeah. <laughs> Because I, I think also that some some of the people that I need to tell myself to meet with kindness are like people that were probably exactly like me like twenty years ago or something yeah. that were just on an earlier maybe on their EDM part of their journey, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And some people generally, genuinely, um, don't have access to educated uh, uh, outlooks, and we all know the algorithm puts your own beliefs or questions in front of you depending on where you are. So, you know, it's funny to think about the algorithm being the AI that I think that we've all grown to fear is that thing that's going to kill humanity. Yeah. You know, look at what AI has done to like our last election or 2016 election or even with the vaccines. Yeah. All the responses engagement at any cost, at misinformation cost. So, you know, it's it's we're in this crazy wild wild west of the internet right now that has never been reeled in yeah it is crazy like the, the algorithm is is the kind of real life t8 t8000 really you know from the terminator in a, in a way yeah. <laughs> it's, <laughs> and, and, doing, it's doing its own thing it was created and now it's its own thing yeah yeah exactly it's it's 
it is the beast that's definitely yeah. it's yeah <laughs> well i think isn't that the idea of ai in terms of science fiction writers that sort of it becomes that thing that eventually becomes more human or more out of control than than originally designed yeah exactly we're, we're in it oh my phone is being, let me just turn it off okay sorry no worries at all. No worries. I actually quite like, I mean, I do edit the, the podcast a little bit, but I also quite like it when people go and, you know, pop off to answer their phone. Sometimes I keep those little bits in in the podcast because it just sounds really nice sometimes. <laughs> Obviously, it's a sort of creative editing call and it depends how the guest feels, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. It was probably my best thing if we went to Pumps. Pumps is like the strip club in Bushwick. It's just my birthday on Tuesday. So oh, happy birthday. Thank you. So we did like the sauna. I haven't been to the sauna since before the pandemic. <gasps> and then <clears throat> I went and taught a harm reduction um, class to some people who were training to learn how to use Narcan and like giving people Narcan. And then I was going to go to the strip club after that. It was like such a, a birthday situation, like sauna, community work. Strip club. <laughs> Everything. All of the things like well-being, giving good and receiving it. That's lovely. Exactly. Yeah. We never ended up making it to the strip club, unfortunately. One of my good friends uh, started working there and we I keep needing to go and toss money at them. Just hasn't happened yet. We need to go. <laughs> I mean, this is so weird you said it because the get my guest uh, that I just put up this week, that I interviewed last week, it was his birthday on Tuesday as well. Just going. Oh. Yeah. So oh. weird. <laughs> Um, I just have one more question, if that's okay. And this is this is something that I, I love asking DJs. Um, that is a sort of thing that, or I've had conversations with DJs as well. There's a point quite often people talk about when they're playing where um, I think Daniel Avery described it as, as the records pick themselves mm -hmm. and where everything feels very instinctive and you know what you're doing. Um, can you just... I was wondering if what your experience of that thing, someone else called it the zone. <laughs> I was wondering what your, your feelings about that was. So interesting because of the pandemic um, and having to record um, streams hmm. in front of no one. Um, I had to change my whole process and I never used to pick out, and the running order of tracks and things like that. So during the pandemic, I actually, cause for me, I would have to, I would go and ask if I could do a set and record a good room. Obviously, you know, there's not necessarily money. I would try I would give them a chunk of whatever, if I was getting paid for a stream, I would give them some, but obviously it wasn't going to be a lot of money. So I needed to be as quick as possible. So I only had an hour to record. You know what I mean? I wasn't going to start over if I messed up. So it was a lot of that. So, and being in my head a little bit more, but now that I'm like playing in front of crowds again, it's been so good to not even, normally I would, you know, pull a folder of music. Like I would pull records. I would just have a bunch of, sh bunch of shit th to choose from. Um, but for like house of yes, this Saturday, me and Servito have a techno thing called house of no. It was great to go in with zero plan and like, going in and I think like I'll be even better at this because I um before it's like I don't know the names of records I don't remember names it's like and I can't think of things so now what I've done is I'm going in and giving like my own micro genres so I can find things much easier because I have ah. gig music so it's hard for me so often I'll just go to a folder and look and find something and play it instead of thinking of something in my head yeah 
Um, do you give the micro genres like your own names as well? I've got a DJ friend that. Yeah, yeah. like I feel the genre is because that's all genres is our opinions, right? Yeah. Like, so for me, it's about creating those micro genres so I can just like get to things faster mm. and not planning my sets. So, you know, it's been nice to return to that is basically what I'm saying. Just going in and just playing whatever, whatever I want. That must be so nice. I haven't, I mean, I, I don't really DJ any, I was DJing a lot in London, but I, I've, I do DJ in Berlin occasionally, but it's more in, in bars, which I love, but I haven't DJed since the pandemic. So I've, I've always feel like when DJ's sort of smiling, when, you know, when you were just saying that, you were smiling about saying how nice it is. I'm just like, oh my God, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> it just like, there's no, it felt so, I had no pressure going in. There's some places, like there was a run of shows where I just did, which was my first real run of shows. It was like Detroit, it was Vegas, then Detroit, and then LA and those three shows I really struggled and I realized because it was like my first real set of travel gigs and I forgot that I'm supposed to feel joy and feel the medicine of mm. these I struggled on those three gigs and then I came home and did the good room opening and remember and like my intention was to simply enjoy myself and it was a just a reminder of what we're in this why I'm doing this so ever since I just remembered to do that yeah. And just a whole lot easier and a whole lot more fun and traveling has been better. And, you know, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's amazing how it can become something we can just forget these things. And then when you remember them, it kind of clicks in or you have that yeah. experience that reminds you. It's my medicine. It's my medicine. Yeah. Remember on those three gigs, I came home and I was like, I didn't get my medicine on these shows. And that's why I feel like this. And I need to remember to fun because that's why I'm here and if I have fun if I'm having fun up there that means the crowd is having fun right mm. so I just refocus my whole thing because normally when I start playing a show I will I'm a, I'm a spiritual person I will call in the spirits of the land I will ask my guides to join to um, invoke joy excitement community love I will do this right before I go on right but in realizing that I wasn't having fun. All I needed to do was invoke joy in myself in these sets and all the other things would come along. So that's where I'm at again. I'm like reconnected. There was like a good month where I wasn't connected and now I'm back at it and I'm really excited about shows and I just feel a lot better. Amazing. So yeah. I don't, there, there was an amazing thing where I think there was a, a one of us saw uh, like a phone message just went and it made ping just as mm -hmm. you said when you realized and it just sounded quite kind of cosmic oh, <laughs> yes. awesome i love that i don't believe in coincidence i believe everything happens for a reason so same, hey. same with me so, um lauren thank you so so much for chatting thank you so oh, my much pleasure. this is really great thank you so much for this oh pleasure thank you that was lauren flax talking with me paul hamford for lost and sounds we had that conversation on october the 7th 2021 Lauren is in Brooklyn in New York and I'm in Berlin and um, I definitely 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 came out of that conversation feeling super inspired and really kind of like motivated and feeling good about about kind of my intentions and and I hope you listening felt some felt some good energy from that as well Lauren's 
we we sort of talk about a couple of releases in there. Obviously, her most recent release, the Out of Reality EP, which is out on the Two MR record label. That's Mike Simonetti's Two MR Records. I apologise if it's not Mike Simonetti that owns that label. That's just me ad libbing, really. There, um, it's fucking fantastic EP. Anyway, and we also talk about One Man's house is another woman's techno ep which came out two years ago actually but 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 i mean if you consider like in the last two years there's been not much opportunity to dance so so to me that still feels really really fresh and and stuff but go and check those out if you're not already well well acquainted to and what you heard really turned you into wanting to check it out um yes thank you so much for listening Thank you so, so much for listening. If you like to support the production, the time, the love and the labour that goes into this uh, podcast, I have a coffee crowdfunding source. There's a link in the bio for the for the tiny price of a cup of coffee. You can help me putting the, the, the human hours into bringing this to you. But you don't have to. You don't have to. I'm just happy to have you listening. Thank you so much, ESO, for doing the blindingly good music at the beginning, at the end of the show. Um, I always put a link to ESO's music in the description as well, so go and check out what other stuff ESO does. If the tune that you hear tickles your fancy, thanks to Kieran Yates in the UK for mastering the levels, and thanks to Bear Radio. Um, you can hear other English language podcasts from Berlin by going on bearradio.org. And most importantly, thanks. You have a lovely day. Have a really beautiful day and I'll speak to you soon.